Airing from the No Sponsorship Studios, this is Buddy Walk with Jesus, where real life and the kingdom of God connect. Now, your hosts, Joe and Edgar. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence. Father, just to be here and know that you're here. Father, that you're in the midst of us, Father. I pray for every single listener, Father, that you would manifest your presence with them, Father. They'd feel your peace. They'd know your love. They'd be convinced of who you are and the importance of having you in their lives. Not only as someone to go along, but someone who is in them, who is part of them, who has come to dwell within them, Father, they would not see it as a far distant God who, who is uh, out of touch with all the things they're going through, Father, but they would realize that you are in the midst of the turmoil they're having. You're in the midst of the joy. From everything that they think about, you already know, to everything that they are unaware of, you already know. I pray right now that your presence your magnificence, your marvelousness would be understood by each and every listener. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, what is up? Welcome back to Buddy Walk with Jesus. As always, we want you guys to know two things as we get started that you are prayed for and that you are loved deeply. Uh, Just a quick reminder, check out the website, buddywalkwithjesus.com for the links to the Discord server, as well as the links for our Patreon and the Teespring store. Um, Also, if you guys are in need of prayer, reach out prayer at buddywalkwithjesus.com. Our prayer team is there. Um, Well, you know what? It was interesting from the last episode. The following day after we recorded the last episode, I was reading through Ephesians 3. And I'm just really just digesting what's here. And I'm realizing with the mindset of a lot of the cultural Christianity, a lot of actually even people outside of Christianity that are asking us to lessen God, to lessen Jesus. If we were to do that, Ephesians 3, the richness and the power of, of Christ would be lost. When we had um, Brandon Robertson saying that Jesus had, in essence, sin, and we know that if Jesus had sinned, it would disqualify him from being the atonement for men. If we accept that, then we can accept the richness that's shown in this one chapter. I'm so convinced that God was just showing me himself in Ephesians 3 and to remain steadfast. You know, not that in my mind there was a question, but to, yes, this is the path. This is understanding who God is. This is having the mind of Christ to be able to see who he is and why he could not possibly be imperfect. And I'm hoping that as we go through that one chapter, 
that the listeners would say, you know what, I do see how if Jesus sinned, we would lose a lot in this chapter. And then there would be, within each listener, a desire to hold on to what Scripture says. And as we're challenged by the culture to say that Christ is less, Christ was just a man, Christ was a teacher, not part of the Trinity, not part of the Godhead, not the sacrificial lamb, the perfect atonement. You know, you have all these ways you can describe Christ, but you would lose it once you introduce him as a sinful figure. He just could not fulfill what God had planned. He couldn't be taught by humans what God had planned. God taught him. The Bible says he learned wisdom along the way as he grew up. He grew in wisdom, it says. So yes, he emptied himself, but that doesn't mean he lost his God, divinity, deity self. So however that happens, maybe I don't fully understand it, but it's like an empty vessel. In other words, he showed us an example of what we could do as forgiven people because of the richness he brings into humanity with his perfect life, the sacrifice life, the blood spilled out life. If I seemed a little harsh on Brandon, it's probably because inside me that passion was there. I don't know if I would change anything that I said. I don't believe I said anything bad. And, and no one has said anything about that. I just want to make that clear. But sometimes when you take a stand, the enemy would like for you to feel like a bad guy. Because some people are affected by that. Mind you, there are some people who are very confident they don't have to deal with that. I um, unfortunately don't have that. So I have to just go through and, and work through the uh, the thoughts so with that said i think we're going to step through the chapter and i'm not sure how it's going to go and i'm hoping for the listeners they'll they'll pull out ephesians 3 and they'll start to look at it as we look at it and see what parts really speak to the richness of christ of his life and i'm going to do it from the new living translation when I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending His grace to, gen to you Gentiles. You write that I stop. And if anybody knows the story of Paul, they know that he was really bad. Um, he was Saul of Tarsus, and he was helping to capture Christians, and these were men and women, and, you know, it says men and women. So, But I, I would think also maybe children would fall under this. Um, and maybe they didn't, I don't know. But he would take them to get um, judged, and I can't think of the word, I'm thinking of a different word, um, condemned for their belief in God. And this was his righteous religious duty but yet as he was traveling on the road to Damascus a bright light came 
and he got knocked off the horse and he was blinded by the light, but he heard God speaking. And God announces this, him, Jesus, who is being persecuted. Because he asked, Paul asked, you know, why, how, how did the phrase go? You know, he didn't realize he was persecuting God, but he was. And right there, that tells us of their first meeting, God was not understood. The richness of God is not something a man understands naturally and cannot put into words, if you will, what or who God is and that richness. So Paul had a meeting with God that costed him his vision temporarily, but in it, he spent three days not eating, three days not drinking, and then he was in prayer. So I don't know if he slept, but in my mind, and this is only in my mind, I don't have any scripture to back this up. I imagine it was hard for him to sleep because he wouldn't know if he's going to get back his sight. He didn't know anything that was going on. He had spoken with the creator of the universe. And he was challenged because he had persecuted the creator of the universe by persecuting his church. So this should tell somebody something. And this is where I'm, a thought that's just coming to my head, so I'm going to run with it. God says, my church was persecuted, therefore I am persecuted. We don't tend to think of the closeness of God that way. We tend to think, I'm being persecuted, God come rescue me. But here we have God identifying himself as being persecuted by people, by Paul, by the Jewish system that was calling for these Christians to be tried. And God says, I am persecuted. That is hitting me heavy right at this moment. That is not something I've thought about. When you're in a situation, terrible situation, we've discussed several situations in, in various episodes like child abuse or um, women being violated. Where was God in that circumstance? We can see based on this scripture, or I can see, I don't know if anybody wants to take that, that God is in the violation himself. He is being violated. Um, he is being tortured um, in child trafficking. He is being captured. We don't think of the God who journeys with us in those instances. We somehow journey in the darkness by ourselves. And if God is being the object of persecution, object of child trafficking, object of and I hate to put it this way because it just sounds so nasty when I when I think of the word, the God being raped, because the woman is. We don't tend to think that way of God. But somehow my mind begins to say, hold on, something here, something is happening here. Something very powerful is happening. And if we think of Christ on his journey to the cross that day, there was a lot that was going on. 
in the physical body that he had, he was being violated. And by that I mean he was being spit on, he was being beaten. We know he was flogged immensely. And he had to endure carrying that heavy wooden beam to the cross, excuse to Golgotha. So here we have the God who endures. He endured on a, what I'm going to say, global level, and he endured on a personal level for each of us. Every darkness, every dark spot that we walked in life, he endured it with us. He understands that pain. And he has the ability to lead through that to righteousness, holiness, and togetherness. For anyone who this is this thought is hitting them, feel free to pause because I I myself would like to pause and reflect on this a little bit. I don't have the ability to right now, so maybe later on. I'm gonna pick up and by I know that was a little dark, but that's a richness of God, and I would not want to mar it by saying Jesus was sinful and lose that connection that God walked as we walked. Picking up in verse 3, as I briefly wrote earlier, God revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I've written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is the beginning of where I was starting to pick up something was being said that I hadn't really reflected on earlier. So we have Christ being the center point of a revelation, a mystery that's going to be revealed that it wasn't to the prophets before, it wasn't to Moses, it wasn't to the children of Israel, it wasn't to anyone in the Old Testament. Uh, and then he was going to reveal it now at that point where Paul lives, that contemporary world of Paul. But it was revealed by his spirit. He has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets by his spirit, by Jesus' spirit, by God's spirit, this is going to be revealed. And it's in verse 6 where it says, And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. Again, right here we have Christ being the center point to this verse. If he were sinful, this verse could not happen. So what happens here is that we understand that the Abrahamic covenant where God was going to bless the nations through Abraham's seed is being fulfilled. That both Jew and Gentile, we're going to become brothers. We're going to become part of one family. You know, we're going to become the family of God. And this incorporates 
every person in the planet has this opportunity. And this is that we would be bonded into a family. So we, we not only have a relationship with God, but we also have a relationship with each other. And I would say that we have an obligation, if I can put it that way, towards one another, to look out for one another, to hold one another more than ourselves. So in here, we have the call to a perfection that hadn't been known in the Old Testament and was only then just being revealed that Paul, the man who had met Christ and had been a torture to the church, had become a person who had a, received a wonderful revelation. And Jesus was going to reveal it. And it was going to be that all people are one under him. We've heard the Lord call this out before. It's even in the Old Testament. The Lord is one. And that speaks of the unity. That he, in John 17, the Lord says he asked that his the body would be one as he and the Father are one. That's a little bit of a paraphrase there, but you can see where I'm going with that. A sinful Jesus couldn't do that because we would be left in our sins. We would be, in essence, the identity, and Joe and I have always mentioned this, the whole concept of sin is that we do autonomy, self-rule. We decide. It's not about um, humility. It's not about looking out for the other person. It's totally, how do I make my kingdom better for myself? And you know what? It may not include my wife. It may not include my kids. I'm more concerned about my kingdom than my family. Some people, you know, are not that way. They'll include their, their spouse and their kids, but, you know, they'll push out everybody else. So the whole idea of is it's actually, I don't know if this is a good way to phrase it or if it's just a little bit um, amiss in how to say it. It's like reversing what happened in the Garden of Eden. The whole, you know, becoming autonomous apart from God is now undone and reversed as if it never happened, I'll say. But that's the power of God. That is the power of Jesus. That is the whole beautiful thing about Christ is that he can unravel the mess that we're in and make it like it's never been that way before. And does that mean that we see it that way? No, I don't. Uh, maybe some other people can see their lives as though it was uh, never a problem. But I believe that God sees only the good things at that point. It's like taking out um, the knowledge of evil from the tree and it's not only the knowledge of the good. Um, that's a poor shadow of what I'm trying to say, but it says though through Christ, you have the ability to go and do the right things and not let your past be a present. In verse seven, it says, by God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. So now we know serving him is Jesus. Would we want to serve a simple person? You know, there, there are a lot of good people, a lot of good Christians, and that doesn't mean you want to serve them or do their will explicitly. Um, I, I can think of... Uh, a lot of people that, I don't want to say I hold them in high esteem, I have high regard for them. 
but I wouldn't say that I'd want to serve them the way I want to serve God. Now, don't get me wrong, be of service to your brothers and sisters in the faith. You know, Paul says that a lot. It's important to do that, to love them through service. But you are not to be like in a form, a form of worship in service to them as though the, the end all and be all. Um, and sometimes we, as a, a, as a people or as a, a humanity can give this sort of worship to political leaders or um, celebrities. Uh, and mind you, if we knew these people in the ins and outs, we'd probably say, oh, you know, smack ourselves on the forehead kind of thing. But here we have God who's amazing, who's doing so many things on a deep level. Um, picking up in verse 8, though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasure available to them in Christ. Now, this is interesting. And I'm having some new thought as I'm talking about. Paul, who did some horrible things um, and was very, very passionate about it, wound up becoming a vessel, a choice vessel, I should say, because nobody else did what he did. Nobody else was able to deliver the messages that he was, to write prolifically. And I'll tell you right now that there are some people in some movements who disregard Paul because they see his viewpoints as his viewpoints and not necessarily scripture. I don't hold to that. Uh, but Paul wound up having his whole, I would say, life cycle redeemed. God took some of the stuff that he knew that became corrupted, like a lot of knowledge of scripture, became corrupted because it was used for power, for agendas, and it was used in a way a lot of, you know, Christian leaders, celebrities, personalities, whatever word you want to apply them, are doing it today, where they're serving their kingdom, not God's kingdom. So his, his entire failure was redeemed where he became the choice leader in taking the news to the Gentiles. Now, what makes that interesting is, is that the Gentiles have no concept of God and a lot of the communities that Paul went through. They were not born into the Jewish tradition, into the Jewish scriptures. Some have taken on themselves. I'm not talking about that. And they've read the Tanakh and uh, the Torah. But here I'm talking about every Gentile was in essence given to Paul as a group of people to, I'm going to use the word witness, or to teach about God, to teach about the intricacies. And now you take this man who had all this head knowledge, but none of the spirit of the scripture, and you infuse him with the spirit of God. Mind you, Jesus' sacrifice is what brought this forward. You infuse him, you indwell him with God, and he is able to put into words what Gentiles need to understand that they need God. You cannot do that with an imperfect Christ. You just can't because all that is lost automatically. 
So I am here talking at this very moment because the richness of Christ is real. And a lot of you are listening because the richness of Christ is real. When you start to pick the character of God apart, when you start to pick the gospel message apart, you start to lose something, right? I know a lot of Christians are scared to mess around in the Old Testament. Um, it gets thick at certain points. Like it, like it's. It, I, I just recently completely finished the Old Testament for the first time, and it's important to understand the church's history, God's history, to understand how He has interacted with us and kind of the plan from the start jew first then poured over to the gentiles and while the circumstances changed while the um the time periods change and the names change god never change god never changes from age to age he never changes he is the same then he's the same from the start he's the same now and it's important to understand that the full gospel message is the full gospel message, not to be taken apart, not to be um, outlined in certain areas, in certain ways that read into it a particular agenda. And it's important to understand that when we hear these accusations against God, against Jesus, you know, no, they're not the first time. It's kind of a sad state of affairs, right? Like for the longest time, the Westboro Baptist Church had the top spot for me as far as the people that most unfortunately misused the Bible. But what we have here is a systematic reconstruction of a whole new religion that attempts to just co-op the name of, of Christianity. And so when we talk about the, the gospel message, it's broken down into four main parts. Creation, the fall, which is sin, redemption, and restoration. It's that middle spot that you kind of have to ignore in order to have these kinds of thought processes make sense that there could even possibly be a fallible Jesus because in in according to their gospel um that's not necessary because we're all just kind of in and all paths lead to God um yeah this whole thing of the necessity of the gospel the necessity of salvation and of grace and all of those things yeah that's offensive because it means that we've messed up it means that we've done wrong and it means that we need a savior. We are the ones that are in need of saving. And in order for the law to be completed, as Jesus said, that he is the fulfillment of the law, in order for that bridge to be mend, there has to be a perfect sacrifice. You cannot find fault in that, in that individual. And you see all throughout the Old Testament, the, you know, is it, is it Moses? Is it Noah? Is it David? Is it these people? No. And you continue to see these figures fall short until you get to Jesus. Mm -hmm. 
the only one that was fully able to live that out. When you were speaking, Galatians 1.8 came to me. And, you know, it, Paul is speaking, says, Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. So Paul even puts himself back in that category. He says, if someone tells you different, gives you a different uh, gospel, let God's curse be on them. So we know that God's going to take care of anybody who promotes a false gospel. But he also warns us that it could be someone that we hold dear. Um, and including Paul, but I would say an angel from heaven. And I would say that alludes back to 1 Kings 13. That whole chapter is an amazing chapter. But basically there was a young man who was a prophet of God. And God had to give him a word directly to go and curse, not curse. Well, I guess it's do a judgment against, um, and I can't remember, Jehovim or Rehobim. There's, those two guys are in the same time period, and I can't remember. I get my J's and my R's mixed up, but I think it's Jehovim, King. And he, he, he did uh, pronouncement against him. And, but the, that's the side part that I wanted to say. This was at the word that God told the young man of God, as it's referenced in the Bible, as he's referenced to him. He says, you're not to stay there, don't eat, no drink, just head straight out of town. And what happened is the old man of God came to him and said, an angel brought the word of the Lord to me and said, you are to come back with me, eat and drink. Okay. So the young man got a direct word from God. Old man says, I got an, uh, a word from God from an angel. So to me, that's creating distance from the word of God because you have this intermediary, the angel brought this word. And what happened is the young man wanted to be nice and didn't want to say no to this older man and decided to go back with him and eat. And make a long story short, as soon as the young man went to drink and eat, the old man prophesied from God that the young man was going to lose his life because he had disobeyed God. That's a huge pronouncement right there. If you've never read this chapter, go read it. Go read it in an easy translation and then you want to read it in a couple. I, I tell you, it's an amazing thing about trusting the Lord more than someone else who says they got the word from God. That being said, we know that the word of God is important. And it tells us directly. And we're seeing as we walk through Ephesians 3, the richness that we don't want to lay aside because it comes at a cost. It does. And that would probably bring some I want to say some grayness to our colorful world in God. It would take away from the richness that we have in God because we're choosing something over God. So I'm, I'm hoping that's coming across or uh, the listeners are able to, to capture that as a truth, you know, and mind you, I'm, I'm in the role of an intermediary and a, and a messenger at this point too. So <laughs> I'm not in any safe zone, so to speak. But the Word of God is there. And I think that it's there for everyone to read, digest, to 
become familiar with, to absorb, and to just delve into in a way that is not just reading like a textbook um, or a homework book or even a novel, but it's meant to get to know God, to see Him who is, you know, to have an experience as though it would reveal something of eternity to you. It's something that God has given us for a reason. And we can't minimize what it says or trade off because of a, someone's reputation, be it man or angel. I'm going to pick up on verse 8. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display His wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly place. This was His eternal plan which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let that sink in. We're being told he's a sinful man. Again, that was like gavel tie. This is a pronouncement. It is a decree, if you will. It is God revealing his purpose is that he would use the church to display his wisdom in rich varieties to all who, all the unseen rulers and authorities. That includes the demonic principalities who have authority over the natural governments, people, places, and geographic locations. That they are basically being unseated by whom? The church. Why? Because it's God's purpose. And how is it done through Christ Jesus? The God-man who sacrificed his perfect life and blood for all humanity, all humanity, what would happen. This is what's being taken from us when we're told to think of him as a teacher, as a guide, as someone you could get advice from, as a good man. We lose the connection to the authority that God gives us as his church. To what? To show the unseen rulers and authorities. Now, Joe and I spoke about the demonic in various episodes recently. But again, we have the authority not to allow the devil to be the ruler over the geographic locations. We have that authority. The thing is, a lot of times we don't believe what's there. Part of it is because we've been taught not to. We're not good enough or God doesn't intend that or something now don't get me wrong don't get corrupted and think that oh i'm gonna go against satan um, and you know you you ever seen that jesus wrestling with satan kind of thing there's no way it, the picture itself i know people like this picture but personally it would be the archangel michael it wouldn't be jesus satan has no ability to arm wrestle with with the god of the universe so if anything, Michael. If anything, Michael. Um, 
So here we have that richness. Because of Christ and our faith in him, again, the richness right there, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Now, if Jesus were a man, we would not have the ability to bring our prayers. And it says boldly, it, it does say it and confidently, as though we have been given, and I'm gonna put it this way, maybe not the best way, the authority to come in God's presence. And part of me harkens back to Esther when she entered the king's chamber. But part of me also harkens to, this is what God intends. For us to have a relationship where we can come to him knowing that he's our father, knowing that he desires to hear from us and that we are confident he is actually gonna listen. A lot of people think that God is angry with them, that he's not gonna listen to them because they've been bad and they deserve whatever they get. So in verse 13, he says, so please don't lose heart because of my trials. I am suffering for you, and so you should feel honored. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. If I pray that from his glorious unlimited, me, unlimited resources, he will empower you through the he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And here we go again. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts. We have Christ specifically indwelling you. So a lot of times people think it's only the Holy Spirit, but it's actually the Trinity. So here we see Christ called out as making his home in your hearts. As you trust him, it says, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. So now we have that whole Trinity aspect going there in those couple of verses. So this richness allows us to not only grow closer to God, but to feel vibrant, to feel strong and empowered to do what God wants. In verse 18, he says, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how deep, how high his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Again, we would lose this love of Christ if he was imperfect. Then you will be made complete. Oh, look, we're made complete through that. With all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. This is the God who changes lives. This is the, the God who indwells us. And why does he indwell us, us? Because exactly the actions performed by Christ while he was on earth. Never once did he sin. Never once did he disappoint God. Never once did he ever act as though he had eaten from the, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He always listened to the Father, and he did what he saw his Father doing. So he was connected to God in a way that we as humans are not normally, but can be, in a way where we act out God's behavior as though God were doing it himself. When I talked about that God enters into that relationship of being persecuted the way we're persecuted, he understands that. He's now flipped it for the church, every individual, man and woman, Jew, Gentile, to be able to move forward in the steps as though he was doing it. 
This is not about having a God mentality. This is about being the kingdom, being the hands and feet, being the heart, being the eyes and ears of God in a way that echoes him. I would even go farther than that, more than better than an echo because he's indwelling you. So whatever that verb is, that's what we should do. I want to piggyback off of Ephesians 3 with another verse set that I found. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 17 through 25. And I'm going to be reading out of the NLT. And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now, in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God, because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. We are presented with the gospel message. Matthew 20, 28 is a good snapshot of that. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You can't have that with an imperfect person. And when you look at the church's history, when you look at mankind's history, you see a long list of men that by worldly standards were good men, but they failed, they fell short. It was a necessity to have Jesus. And that is the good news message. That is why this is the best news that the world has ever known. Because this is the opportunity to reconcile with God. Here's the truth. Progressive Christianity is narcissistic. Because it's focused on self. It's focused on the temporary and pushing forward causes in place of pushing forward the kingdom. You know, it's, it's, 
fine, have a have an opinion about the things going on. You know, Edgar and I both have gone to great lengths to discuss our particular fervency in our distaste and disdain for abortion. That is a cause that we believe in. It's not our gospel. The word of God is our is our gospel. God is our true north. We can believe in a thing. We can believe in a cause. You can have an opinion about something is about some form of injustice or something going on in this world. But honestly, take a second and really calibrate for a minute that if you're coming at this from the point of view that you believe in God, you believe in the creator of everything. Ask yourself a question. If you care about it as a finite person, as a person who will be be here for a blink of an eye in the full in the full breath of the cosmos, if you care about it, how much more does God care about it? If you get upset about it, how much more does God get upset about it? If you feel it, how much more does God feel it? Like Edgar talked about, we don't necessarily think about God in those terms. That he is walking through these things with us. It's not him sending us out into the world. That's why God tells us so often in the Bible to ask. You know, it says, asking you shall receive. That's been co-opted to think that that means zeros on the end of your paycheck. But that means the fullness of God. Ask, commune, pray, engage. And and God wants that. God will meet that. God will interact with that. That is the fullness of life. That is the fullness of what it means to be a person here on earth. It's 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 living in community and communion with the God of everything, with the God of all. We got we got to remember when we're faced with these charismatic figureheads, right? These talking heads. Right now we've been discussing one particular talking head. There's tons of them. You know, especially the further down this rabbit hole you go, you realize that there are a lot of people that if you're looking for it, you can start to um, find, you know, a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more of these teachers and these books that promote the temporary that promote the emphasis on making this world a better place now that might seem like oh it's we're christians shouldn't we want to make this world a better place absolutely in the name of god in the name of the gospel with the right intention and perspective in the right context so when but when you take you when you take that out of the proper context, you now have something entirely different. When you come upon these things, it is not as blatant as one thing. It is a series of things. And so, as Christians, we have the responsibility of proclaiming the good news proclaiming the gospel, telling people about Jesus, the great commission, go out, make disciples. Absolutely. 
that takes the that takes the internal understanding that you are a sinful creature in need of grace. We need to remember where we are in that story because if we don't you very quickly lose sight of who the main character is and when you lose lose sight of the who of who the main character is of the story then it becomes about you and it becomes about how can i make my bubble here in the now as best i can and you lose on something you lose out on something you've traded the richness and fullness of of life with god for something else that sounds all right but isn't real and then you've just got another counterfeit you've got another idol so hopefully it's it's coming across that we want to take the time to celebrate the fullness of god and that comes with yes some some truth some the necessity of truth that we are flawed this existence is flawed we are in need of a savior but we get to rejoice in the firm foundation that we have that savior we get to rest in the full character of god that does not change from age to age and seeks to to be with us there was a thought that i had as joe was talking about um and i think one of the telltale signs and maybe it's not evident and maybe i'm just thinking it is is that a lot of these new gospels and not to pick on anyone in particular because the whole culture is trying to push us this way is to create a christianity that is comfortable that is make everything nice make everything inclusive make everything but the thing is these these words that we use inclusive have different nuances you know god is inclusive he calls all the nations to be his inheritance he calls all men and women and children to be his children so you know you can't get more inclusive than god the thing is he doesn't allow for corruption to be part of that and unfortunately the world in its own natural state for lack of a better word is corrupted and it's corrupted by sin and you can tell that because of the unjust laws that are out there you could tell that by how way people treat each other. You could tell that by how um, reckless we are with things like finances and the resources we use uh, and how we treat our fellow man and woman and all these things. I mean, just the human aspect, the whole humankind has an inability to, of its own, to come into alignment with the kingdom of God. So it requires the perfect God-man, Jesus, to sacrifice himself. And as we come to the last couple of verses of Ephesians 3, 
I want you to think about all the verses you've read or anything that comes to mind about the richness of God. And would you be better off if you had never known that? Because that's what you're being asked in this culture. And it's not just from um, religious leaders, but we have it in the news media. I can think of one particular one who says, Jesus was imperfect. Flatly says it. Not exactly those words, though. Um, but here we're being told that Jesus is not perfect. So therefore, we can choose to dismiss him. Mind you, it's not a good thing to do that. There are going to be a lot of people who, when they get before the presence of God, they're going to believe they put forward a true gospel, but it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. And they get no reward, but they still get in. Um, and that may not seem fair to a lot of mindsets, but it's how God has done it. So he allows a person to repent even at the end and enter his kingdom. Um, even if they were intentional in creating an environment that caused Jesus to be minimized, diminished, and treated less. So that is not about the person. That is about the greatness of God. That he can wipe away even the sin that is directly against him. That is passionate against him. Ephesians 3 closes with, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. So that through all generations includes everyone listening, everyone speaking at this moment. God had intended to know us. And it's up to us whether we intend to know Him. So He will walk with us. He will be in our history. He will be in our present. He will be in our future. Will we be with Him in those things? You know, for a lot of people, they're intimate with the Lord. They're going to grow more intimate. And it's not going to be a question. They're just going to live in the presence of God. But that presence of God acknowledges Christ's rightful place and rightful attributes, if I can use that word, I don't like it because it minimizes it in my mind, but the whole dynamic of Christ, which includes perfection, as part of that life. Each individual person has to come to grips with, is God perfect or is he not when he was alive on the world and died on the cross? We know what the blood was supposed to atone for. It could not do that if it was imperfect. So hold on to Christ. When you hold on to Christ, you hold on to God. I'll put it simply as that. And I'm going to close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for your revelation of your word and the importance it is. Father, in these days when we're told to calm down, settle down, you know, quiet down, that we would hold to you fervently, that we would come before you boldly and confidently to say, we want more of a relationship with you, Father. Don't allow us 
to be muddled in our mindsets, but clarify, Father, all those voices in our heads that we hear that tell us to believe you in a less way, that we would be able to remove them through prayer at, at just coming into alignment with you, to really understand that it is within the authority that you've given us that our relationship with you is under our authority that you've given us. You desire to walk it with us, our lives intertwined with yours. Father God, I pray right now for each and every listener that you would hold them tightly and they would feel that presence, that they would know that they're not alone, that they are loved, and that they're fearfully and wonderfully made for a relationship with you. In Jesus' holy name, we thank you. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Buddy Walk with Jesus. For more information, check us out at buddywalkwithjesus.com. Look for us on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. You can also find us on Discord at the Buddy Walk Community for prayer and fellowship. And lastly, if you check out the episode description, we have a listener support link and we would love your support for this ministry. As always, know that you are prayed for and know that you are loved.